Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Everyone, new episodes of Little Known Facts drop every Monday, and you can find them on your favorite podcast provider. Also, if you go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com, you'll find behind-the-scenes photos, videos, and interviews, and lots more on the gallery page. And if you are loving these intimate, candid conversations with all the artists who come on the show, please head over to the contributions page. I depend on these donations to continue to bring you these interviews every week. So if you love the show, please donate. Little known fact, I recently had the privilege of watching my guest today perform live at the Green Room 42 in New York City, where he was highlighting songs from his newest album, Angel City. He is an extraordinary performer, a a brilliant recording artist, and a really, really compelling person to watch perform live. And after the show, I got to sit down with him and do a live podcast event with a really, really wonderful audience. And it was so much fun. And I am so grateful to Spencer Day, who is my guest on this week's episode, and everyone at the Green Room 42, and Dan Fortune in particular, uh, for making this happen. So here we go. Before we get into the episode, I'm going to play for you 72 and Sunny, one of my favorite songs from Spencer Day's new album. Enjoy, and thank you for listening. 72 and Sunny Oh, what a lovely day Blue are the skies above me they can't shake my blues away So I hold them inside My pride denies Every tear that I cried When I'm all alone I'm gonna fake it till I make it They won't know I've been keeping the secret I'm gonna fake it till I make it And everybody's gonna believe it Seventy-two and sunny is something I never feel. It's just like the Easter Bunny. Nothing here was ever real, so I put on a smile 'cause I. 
is thrilled to welcome Alana Levine, Broadway actress and host of the critically acclaimed Broadway podcast, Little Known Facts with Alana Levine. Ilana starred on Broadway in Wrong Mountain, Jake's Women, The Last Night of Ballyhoo, and You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. Her podcast, which to date has over 100 episodes, hosts interviews with today's most successful artists of stage and screen, and can be found wherever you listen to podcasts. Please welcome Ilana Levine and her guest for this live podcast event, Spencer Day. Hey, hey, mine is on. Do you want mine? Let's see. Wait, hey, there we go. That is perfect. Hey, everybody. Thanks for sticking around. For Yeah. Everything. It's sort of astonishing I was sitting right there for this entire show, and now you can imagine how I feel to be sitting right here next to the extraordinary Spencer Day. So. Thanks. I am Alana Levine, and uh, I have a podcast called Little Known Facts with Alana Levine from here on in. Um, if you're just tuning in, that's a joke because Spencer so sweetly said Levine and Levine, and now I'm thinking... I practiced it all day going Levine, wrong. Levine. Don't exactly. It, it was wrong. Don't mess yeah. it up. Spencer, Di, and I are so excited to be here <laughs> with you tonight. So, first of all, the thing that is really thrilling is, like all of you, I'm a huge fan of Spencer Days, and so to have an opportunity to share him not just with the live audience that's here tonight, but with the many, many listeners who are going to hear this podcast. And your energy and love for Spencer are going to be a part of that podcast when it is published and put up into the world, wherever podcasts are heard. So 
I would say, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that Spencer has kind of been on the scene in a big way for almost 15 years now, which is remarkable because you are 22 years old. So, as a prodigy, you must be exhausted. Well, Annie was my first starring role. Annie was your first. Really, really has been downhill since then. And you never forget your first, do you? Well, and I was the first baritone Annie, which was a daring choice, you know. And that is why Spencer is so well-known, because he was the first baritone Annie. Um, (laughs) For those of you who have had the great pleasure, as we have tonight, to be at Spencer's show, you get to hear a lot about your life story when we get to see you live, which isn't something that everyone listening to your eight, nine albums now? How many albums do you think Think you have? Something like that. Nine, and the latest one, Angel City, is remarkable and beautiful and just one more album that has songs that make it onto the charts, which is pretty extraordinary. But I want to talk a little bit about, right? Thank you. At, at 22 years old, it's also pretty extraordinary. I want to talk a little bit about your journey because for most Mormons, they don't end up at the green room at the Yotel, or maybe they do, but it's kind of um, a remarkable journey that you've had. So I want to go back, if you will, to your early days in Utah. I know much of what I know about Mormonism because I saw a Broadway show called The Book of Mormon. Which is pretty accurate, the whole beginning (laughs) part that they do the description. So I feel pretty well-versed in your religion. I felt very um, shouted out to when you sang from Fiddler and Anna Tefka earlier. I felt both of our heritages heritages were celebrated uh, at the Green Room 42. But at some point in your world, in Utah, you were introduced to the performing arts and all of this music. And I'm wondering, like, what was the beginning for you of falling in love with music and singing and was it part of your church life or was it separate from church life well um i always liked the hymns as i played um one during during the show um and my mom would play mozart around the house and and i liked that too but for me uh mgm musicals we the town we were in i believe that the uh, vhs store i'm really as as a 12 year old it's really surprising at 20 um, that but we, there was a blockbuster video in It was before, way before okay. blockbuster. It was okay. those massive, massive, you know, machines. But they only carried G-rated movies because in, in growing up, we would always say that G is for good, PG is for pretty good, PG-13 is for pretty bad, and R is for rotten. So I didn't see an R-rated movie. My first was Pulp Fiction at 16, and I was mind-blown. I had never seen. I mean, that's a crazy one to start with. But these MGM musicals were what it was either Disney movies or classic films and MGM musicals. So I think the storytelling and the escapism that's such a part of, you know, that golden era of MGM musicals is really is really when I first got inspired. And it was really escaping, as I mentioned, uh, like Scheherazade or Bali High. I didn't really care about the plots for these movies because I just wanted to see the characters escape into anywhere that I wasn't, which is like Utah in the 1980s. So I, uh, anywhere that kind of transported me to a world. So I always loved music, but I never thought I would 
do it. You know, I, I think for me, the desire to go see the world more came from wanting this glamour of, I would draw pictures of the Chrysler building not even knowing what Art Deco or what that was. I would draw martini glasses at like eight years old, but it symbolized a world that I didn't. And at that point, I think in the Walmart, the only place to buy, um, I think Kenny G and one Harry Connick Jr. CD were like in the, in the jazz section. So... <laughs> So I didn't even really know jazz or anything until until much later. But um, but my mom, you know, would play piano and, and and sing around the house. So I think music was always around, even though I wouldn't do it because she tried to give me lessons, and you never do what your parents try to get you to do. Well, my kids do. Oh, good. <laughs> Everything I ask them to do, it's really remarkable. But I'm I'm unique in that way, Spencer. <laughs> After she pushed me into Annie. It's a horrible stage mom. I exactly. never forgave her for that. So it is no small thing to get from, you know, I grew up in New Jersey, so getting to New York City was literally across the George Washington Bridge. And even that, I was rather proud of myself for doing. But it wasn't quite the journey of getting from where you grew up, which, what was the name of your town? Well, I was born in Ogden and grew up in, in Layton, which is very much the Paris of northern Utah. Perhaps you've been to our Sonic or... I would like to. ...toured the pig rendering plant. I'm going but, uh, next. Now it's grown up. I mean, once again, as you can tell, I'm probably not 22, um, I think it's become kind of a suburb of Salt Lake, but it was all alfalfa farms and corn farms when I grew up there. But I would tell my mom about these travels I wanted to do, and I think, you know, now she's been to New York and loved it. The first time she hated it, you know, like a lot of people do. Um, but I told her, I'm going to go live in New York City someday, and she's like, you will never live there. It's so dangerous. I mean, once again, this is in the 80s, that people from where I grew up just, you didn't, you didn't go there. It just kind of wasn't really done. There wasn't really a reason, but I think it was just, I think the reason you see a lot of people who become famous or successful come from, you know, whether it's Jennifer Aniston, Jennifer Lopez, all of the Jennifers, Jennifer Lawrence, is <laughs> is that um, not only do you have more access to contacts and, and possibly money, but there's something you feel deserving of it because you've seen success happen to other people you know in entertainment, so it doesn't feel as far away. And you understand the culture of the big city and how to like read when people are full of it or not. Whereas if you're coming off of a farm or something, it takes so long just to adjust, adjust to that cultural change. So it, it is kind of a big deal. You know, the other Mormon star that I interviewed is an EDM artist, Cascade. Are you familiar with a guy named Cascade? I didn't know he was Mormon, but yes. yeah. So he um, he's a huge DJ and EDM star, and we talk a lot about what it is, you know, for all of us to go into the performing arts is often a big deal for our families. When you grow up in a particularly religious family where this kind of life really scares everyone because of the possibility not of making the music, but of the drugs and the bad scenes that might enter your life because you are leaving this one road and, and heading on another. So when you made this decision, forget even becoming the, the music star that you have become, but even just leaving your religion and leaving your family and leaving your home and not going on a mission, because I did see the Book of Mormon, is a really big deal. It's a really big deal. That is like yeah. a rite of passage. You don't go off to L.A. You go on a mission wherever you are sent. How did you get out of that? Oh, I mean, I was just dying inside. So I think, and I didn't believe it. My mom, you know, the rest of my family, I think it was a big upset. But my mom, you know, she was always like a very progressive, you know, Mormon. And she's still Mormon, and I love her so much. And she's very groovy. She's been on like a float in a gay pride parade. And she's That's she's amazing. she's a cool, you know, Bernie Sanders kind of, kind of Mormon. 
Um, and, and I love her for that, you know. Um, he should have got, if he had the Mormon vote, he would have won. I think, I th- well, I, th- I think, you think yeah. There are a lot of Mormons. Yeah, there, there are, yeah. I think, uh, I don't, a lot in Polynesia, though. I don't think they were voting in this okay. last one, though. Fair enough. But, um, but uh, yeah, I, I think uh, it, it was a big upset. And I think, you know, some religions, there's more fire and brimstone. But I think what you can feel is if, if you leave the church, uh, I know for a lot of Mormon people, and I'm grateful with my mom that didn't happen, is it's kind of just icy coldness and a distance that you can't really put your finger on, that people will still be friendly, but there's just kind of a wall that's gone up that, you know, I mean, you, you want to keep everything kind of cloistered together and you don't want outside, you know, I guess points of view maybe coming in. And I, I guess I can understand that to a degree, but it's, it's hard. And, and I think to leave everything behind, my mom waved in the road and I packed up. I didn't know where I was going. I slept in my car for a couple of weeks and went between these live rent by the week hotels in San Francisco, um, which I thought bed bugs were always like, you know, like a fairy tale. Like, don't let the bed bugs bite like little monsters, but they're real, as it turns out. And, you know, I got a 24-hour fitness gym membership, and so I would shower there and then have my alarm clock and my blanket set up while I looked for a job. And and I still have that membership. I feel like I should be their, like, spokesman person from the streets to... Definitely. But that's like, you can laugh about it now, but the idea of really being by yourself and getting in a car and heading west and ending up in San Francisco, that's a huge thing. Like, that ain't no small thing. I guess that failure didn't really feel like an option. I guess I was so fearless and I was so unbelievably clinically depressed that there was, now I think about it, I'd be terrified I would never do it. But at the time, it just... I just, and I had $300, so I left home with $300 and was just like, I'm going to, I'm going to figure it out. That's <laughs> but, extraordinary. But at the time, it just, I guess there was no time to kind of think about how it might not work out, and I just, I wanted to see the ocean. All of you know that he was on Star Search and was a finalist, right? So, somehow, I guess I want to say, you talk about your roommate once you make it to L.A., getting you a Casio. I had the privilege of sitting where I could watch you play piano tonight. And not only are you, like your talent, your voice, it's extraordinary and beautiful and singular, but you, your piano playing is incredible. So you are a vocalist, you are an arranger, you are a really accomplished pianist. Uh, I have a Casio and in no way have I become the maestro. That I witnessed here tonight, and and that you didn't go off and become, you know, a concert pianist just as easily is kind of a remarkable thing. How did this grow into such a remarkable deep talent? Well, are you kidding with those beats on a Casio? You could just really. <laughs> but this was not a Casio. That bossa nova beat. This was a beat. grand. Okay. Um, how, I, I I am familiar. Oh, with that particular <laughs> beat, you know. Yeah, nothing funkier than that. That's for sure. I'm so glad I took to it because I was at that time prior to that in the way that, you know, you were talking about how people concerned if you go off to some other life is I really had fallen in with a bad group of people making bad decisions. And in the Book of Mormon, well, the great Joseph Smith who founded the Mormon uh, religion, uh, he would say, like, your body is a temple. And I still believe that to be true, but the great John Mayer said, your body is a wonderland. And I think at some point I got the messages, <laughs> confundido. <laughs> 
you know, I was I was taking a lot of substances and I was trying and part of it was an innocent. I just wanted to break off the shackles and kind of reinvent myself as a happy person. But because of that, I never really did the inner work until years later. It was just I didn't have a dream of making music or performing. It was just I just wanted to leave whatever I felt that I was behind. Um, but when I discovered music and started playing it, yeah, it just gave me this outlet for it that really, I really credit it for saving my life, honestly. I don't think I would be here if I hadn't found music. So as hard as this industry can be, and boy, can it be hard. When I sure. remember that, it it kind of... <laughs> well, another thing that's really beautiful about your message for, for adults and younger people alike is that you have been out as a singer and really vocal about who you are and demanding that people see you for who you are. At what point did you add that into the mix of... Not only am I going to pursue this, but I'm going to pursue this in a very truthful way about who I am. Well, I think my first uh, record deal was, um, you know, and things have changed a lot. When I had my first record deal, I think it was 2006. It was a development deal. And I won't say who they were, but they're universally known. Let's just say that. And, and the it, first letters begin with <laughs> C. And, yeah. they, um, and it wasn't. There, you know, I, I think things have changed so much, and I really credit like Katie Lang and Rufus Wainwright for being very brave in that way at a time because now it's not such a such a big deal. But it's it, not was, so taboo it was it was a it was a deal breaker, you know, especially if you have a voice where everyone's mom wants to hear you sing their you know her favorite song or whatever. It was just they knew the demographic, and there was always that rub between because Michael Bublé had just been signed at the same time, so they wanted their version of that. So it was kind of they were you know they wanted it that way, and and I I, I was once again. I've been so much happier, and I think as a performer, I've been so much better. And it's not about, you know, just making... I want the songs to always be universal. It's I'm not, you know, typically writing songs. But I, but if a song like Lover Man, Where Can You Be? If I want to sing that standard, I don't want to change it to Lover Gal, because first of all, it sounds stupid. But what's been beautiful is is I, you know, all we can do in life, we try to leave the world a little bit better than we found it. Within whatever platform we have is, I just performed, and Mike Pence's mom was there in Indiana. Wow. I didn't know that. Right. Um, and I did a song called Who's Your, Who's Your Daddy? I like to make songs, comedic songs, like the day of the show. So I, had this, I was like, rugged, rough, and tumble from the wrong side of the fence. Looking like a poor man's bargain basement version of Mike Pence. He asked her, who's your, who's your daddy? But I... Um, but she loved it, and I was I was out I was out. But I think in a way that when I first came out, I mean, I'd already been you know kind of out. I was never really in, um, <laughs> however you want to interpret that. But I did an article in the Advocate probably about ten years ago, and that was right when I had my first song. It was actually number one on on the charts, and I got a lot of hate mail. I got like I used to love this song. It makes me sick to my stomach I'm now. I'm so sorry. But for me, I felt like well, I'm doing something right. Because people are feeling conflicted, like, because they're saying, you know, I love the song, but now it's, they're confused about it, which I was like, well, that's a good step, you know? And I really felt like, well, maybe that's my purpose. Because in a way, I always wished I, you know, had a voice like Tom York or Rufus Wainwright and kind of a voice that had more edge to it. And I saw the audiences they had, and they were, you know, this kind of, I guess, you know, intellectual, coastal, you know, progressive people. And I felt like, oh, that's more my tribe. But I really look at it as a blessing. As be and because I am, it's, I'm from the Midwest. And there's a lot of those I don't try to hide from, from that anymore, you know, as far as well, that being a Well, you're in New York City. Yeah. And this room is filled with brilliant, intellectual, sure stylish, is. sophisticated, 
lovers of the arts. And so I would certainly say you've managed to make both audiences really happy wherever you are. Yeah, and I think that's the cool thing is, is the more I live an authentic life, it's not about being gay, but it's more the more just transparently you are yourself and the more vulnerable, as you know, as a performer, that's really, that's a very scary thing to do, but that's where the real special connection happens with the audience. And I've changed, I know people that I've changed their minds and hearts and perspective, and they love me and they've really rethought some of their views about it. It may only be nine or 10, who knows? But that's, you know, that's the whole point of life is to leave people better than they found them. And, and that's what's great about music, too. It's all about celebrating our shared humanity instead of focusing on our differences. And so I've been to really, you know, religious countries and non-religious countries. And, and, and it gets to be something where in my own small way I get to bring people together. And by me just being me, it's not about just trying to be gay or anything. It's just about, you know, just trying to be myself, I guess. Well, I was thinking tonight... What a great takeaway for all of us. When I was watching you, I thought, wow, to live a life where you get to do what you love and make the kind of music and sing the kind of songs that you love to sing for people who are really happy to be here and to get a little bit of money for it, too. Like, One what, hopes. What more could you dream of to like make the art you love for people who appreciate it? And it was really an extraordinary thing to be among all of you tonight, because I think collectively we all felt like this is a really fulfilled person right now sharing what he has made for us. And it was a really, I don't know, if you're anything like me right now, we really want those moments in our life to feel like we're part of a community and part of, I don't know, a movement of exactly what you're talking about, which is authenticity and generosity and kindness and, and humor. And the way your humor also infiltrates your, the Mrs. Lincoln song is the funniest thing I've ever heard. And I'm praying Marty recorded it tonight so we can have it on the I podcast. I haven't pulled that one out in a long time. It's I got a lot of napkins tonight. Fantastic. I, I want to ask you, you know, sort of a, a cornerstone of my podcast is that I, I find that my guests feel that it is very cathartic to share their worst audition story, their most humiliating, traumatic audition story. Because with distance, as you said, we can laugh about Mary Lincoln's night as well. Yes. Do you have... An, <laughs> A Ford Theater moment. <laughs> do you have an, an audition that is similar to a Ford Theater moment or quite memorable or just funny that you could share with us? Oh, gosh, yeah, there's... Uh so many i mean uh I how was, do you get on star search for one that was a that was a weird uh, audition for i was signed up as a joke because it was my second gig my first was at the rainbow cactus my second was at the lush lounge in san francisco is the name and it was like 35 bucks a night the owner is really sweet but they signed me up as kind of as a joke because it was coming this was the new star search by the way just <laughs> i'm not not that old um <laughs> to be clear to be clear, or at least when I did Annie and I was on like Britney Spears. But, uh, um, but so I went down and Arsenio Hall was hosting this version. I, they were kind of trying to follow the American Idol model a little bit. But I went down and uh, because I never thought I was going to get on that show, I knew what kind of singers they had on. I was just started making up some song about, you know, world and peace and war. I, who, I don't even know. I was just kind of freestyling something. And then I got a call back, and it suddenly wasn't a joke anymore. And I was, I think I threw up backstage, like, the first time we did it. And they kind of, they don't really help you out, because they would come to us backstage and be like, remember, this may be the most important moment of your life. 
And I was like, I got to buy mama a house. I got to buy mama a house. Like I was, you know, so, so that was rough. I don't know if that was em- embarrassing. I think me. Just the throwing up part. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've definitely, I've walked onto stage with my fly and my pants like it was before a gig and I had to run off and like pee really quick before like coming on. And I was four songs in before I realized that my fly was down. And, that, you know, not just the fly, but like I was wearing underwear, fortunately, underneath. But like the belt or was kind of spread at the side. And I was in Georgia and I was like, my pants are down, aren't they? And everybody was like, yeah. And this woman afterwards, she was so sweet, Georgian woman. She's like, I thought that was the new style. I just thought that was... <laughs> And she knew it wasn't a new style, but she was trying to help me out. But if you can laugh at yourself, I guess I don't get mortified. I think when I did when I was younger, I was mortified. But as I realized, if you can laugh at yourself, I turned it into a joke that night. And I would say me um, auditioning for Billy in Carousel here in New York, like the professional production was probably, I don't know how I got called for that, but it's not me as an alcoholic wife beating um, opera singers kind of. A bit of a stretch, kind of like Keanu Reeves in Bram Stoker's Dracula, if you remember. So when you first came to New York, when you first started, did you think you were, was your intention to become a Broadway performer or did you, were you open to all of it? Like, how did that audition come your way? Um, your questions are so good, by the way. Can we hear it for Ilana? I know that's kind of a weird time to bring it up. It's just... Thank you. This is so much fun. Um, usually you get like the same questions again and again. These are wonderful. I never really thought about performing. I never felt deserving. I had such crippling low self-esteem. I just wanted to get away. So, And that was my dream was to get to California and New York, and I did it. And so it's really been in the last... 10 years that I've accepted, I just kind of fell into singing. And, uh, you know, I was a waiter before that in a very bad way. I spilled a plate of pasta pomodoro on a woman in a white Chanel suit. So that was kind of the end of that. And I started singing and no one asked me to stop. So I just um, kept doing it. But I never thought about what that is with intention of like, I'm going to be a singer until I was about 30, dating myself. Um, and it was, it was then that I really thought, okay, here's gonna, the pros and cons of this life. You know, and I was already in it at this point. And, you know, as any, as you know, as a performer, too, that, you know, the, the some of the most sensitive, creative people are the ones that come to the arts. And it's, um, ironically, a profession where you have the most rejection exactly. of, of any, you know, profession that's really hard. But I never came to want to do that. What I really want to do is write musicals. And that's why I'm happy to have this residency. I'd love to do something on Broadway. We got to see Nellie McKay last night and she's been you know done so there's i think there's it would have to be a role tailored to me and not just an operatic alcoholic wife beating star of a classic rogers and hammerstein unless it was annie being portrayed yes in that as a way. 40 year old gay man yeah which i think would actually why not now <laughs> casting wise and kim kardashian as mrs hannigan you know it'd be great so <laughs> no so no, <laughs> she can't take all my jobs away. No. <laughs> does she have a podcast? She does not have a sure, podcast. Sure she does, I'm okay. sure. She will now that you said it. <laughs> I guess I wonder, do you feel successful? When I'm here with people tonight and I get to see people be happy, I do. Um, I raised a bunch of money for an organization I love called Border Angels because um, I live here in New York and then part-time in, in San Diego, or, and I'm down in Tijuana a lot. And so I, they work with the, kind of the what I call the humanitarian crisis at our southern border. And when I'm with them and I'm able to raise money or see people cry or laugh, hopefully cry for not because the show's so bad, um, th- then I feel 
incredibly successful. And I'm like, this is what I'm meant to do. When I go up, honestly, it's a weekly or daily thing when I go up against the world of Instagram and the fame and the Kardashian. And I'm like, I'm, I must not be good. You, you see what's kind of celebrated in our culture. And, it, and at those moments, no, I don't feel successful. So what do you do to get through that? How do you, do you take Instagram off your phone? How do you build yourself back up? Or keep going? If all social media burned alive tomorrow, I would shed no tears whatsoever. But um, it's, it's, that's what's a weird thing is musicians used to be like the kind of countercultural people who kind of went against the grain. And now we're all like 13-year-old girls checking how many likes we have backstage at a show because it is the game. And, you know, we're all playing a game in life that we never asked to play, really. Um, and so it's a, it's, it's, the game. it's a very conflicting thing, because not only do I not, of my own volition, you know, I naturally wouldn't like social media. I actively detest <laughs> it. But I've had to learn to find the love and use it once again as a platform for trying to be the change you want to see in, in the, the, the world. But, um, yeah, I, I really struggle. I um, struggle with that, that world a little bit. But I think that's, yeah, as far as feeling successful, those are the times that um, we're kind of told as musicians to what success uh, should look like. And what it, and uh, there's so many different ways to be successful in life. And, uh, and as many stories from Marilyn Monroe on, we can see also that when you get all the trappings of the success that everyone's supposed to want, it certainly does not guarantee happiness in any way. So being a success is, is doing something you love, hopefully paying your bills with it, and making people happy in life. Well, I know I speak for all of us when I say you made us really happy tonight. This was such a special night. And thank you all for joining us for this thank live you. podcast. You're an extraordinary audience. Spencer Day, thank you for being a part of it. Good night, everybody. Thank you, Alana. Hey, Ben Mary Lincoln. We're dining and a drinking on Pennsylvania Avenue. After finishing a sherry, Abe said to Mary, I got a lot of things to do. Mary said to Abe, you're killing me, babe. You're trying to save the world, I know. But a girl could use a night. I, I gotta leave the White House. Abe, take me to a show. The slaves are free. No grants, no lee. But what about me? You know that I've got needs. I never said a word. I went to Gettysburg and listened to your long-drawn speech. Well, you unified the nation by skipping our vacation. How about emancipating me? I can't wait till tomorrow. I bought a new tiara. And wouldn't that look apropos for a night out on the town? Oh, Abe, don't let me down. Maybe take me to a show. The slaves are free. No grants, no Ignored. We're going to the Ford And don't you try to tell me no What's the worst that could happen? Grab your coat and hat And Abe, take me to a show What's the worst that could happen? Put on that stovepipe hat And baby, take me to a Abe, take me to a Abe, take me to a show
If you want more information about my guests, go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com. I also wanted to tell you that there is now a new addition to the website. It is a button that says Contributions. This podcast is a true labor of love, and I really, really want to keep doing it for a long time. So if you like listening as much as I love to do it, please feel free to contribute. It would mean the world to me. Also, on Twitter, you can find me at Alana Levine. Instagram is Little Known Facts Podcast. And on Facebook, Little Known Facts Podcast. You can also feel free to rate and review the show on the iTunes show page. This podcast is recorded at Hangar Studios in New York City. This episode was brought to you by Pro Media. Located in Times Square, Pro Media offers both production and post production services out of its beautiful studios in the heart of New York City. Pro Media Sound Vision. Find out more at promedia.nyc. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. <laughs>